Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends, Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. Welcome back to another episode of the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast. I am your host, Andrew Martz, here with my good friend and co-host, as always, Mr. Bill McBride. How are you today? I'm doing phenomenal, Andrew. How are you? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. You know, this podcast, our, our quest, our mission is to help you, the listener, learn the language of money and really just create a dialogue around how we make decisions related to our money, related to our finances. So there's a lot of emotions that can be mixed up. And, you know, often what we think is it's just a math equation, but it's not. There are other issues related to financial decisions. Um, Before we jump into today's topic, as always, the question of the day, Bill, are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. So do you have a favorite charity or cause or something that you like to support? or that you believe in? Good question. Um, I'll support anything that helps people. You know, I I guess in the past couple of years, I've really been uh, trying to help out my old high school. And it was, it's, was, is a 170 year old Jesuit institution. And what I've found in thinking about it, like I'm not that talented in like Peace Corps kind of work. I don't know how to build an aqueduct, right? You know, um, but I found that, you know, helping the kids there, they go on to do that kind of work themselves, right? It just kind of pays forward and goes generationally. So I, I, I really um, get a kick out of watching, you know, the kids, grad, the kids, right? <laughs> the kids graduate from, from that school and go on to, you know, it just spreads it, uh, the Jesuit philosophy, you know, across the, across the U.S. and the world. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's how great. about you? Yeah. Um, you know, you got a bunch, don't you? Well, my, my wife and I do a lot of our, you know, charitable giving through our local church, but one, one charity or cause that we are pretty passionate about outside of that is wounded warriors. You know, wounded warriors is a, is a charity that has helped serve wounded warriors, obviously. Hello. Uh, they've, you know, been injured in the battlefield. They come back home and, uh, as they're here, they're matriculating back into the workforce with their families and helping out those soldiers, I think is, is really, really important. My sister-in-law works for them. There we go. Nice, nice little connection point. You'll have to connect me with her. T- today's episode is kind of around this topic. It's all about how uh, our money can have an impact, but it goes beyond just giving your money to a charity or to an organization. And the way it can have impact is while you're investing, while you're growing your money, certain types of investments that you make have a more social or impact conscious type of directive. This would be the topic that we're going to cover today called ESG investing. So first, what is what does ESG investing stand for? Uh, e is environmental, social, 
and governance. So that's kind of the the bucket or the the umbrella that a lot of these types of investments that have been identified, whether it's companies or organizations, kind of fall under. Now that that label ESG, it can sometimes be synonymous with things like sustainable investing or socially responsible investing, or some people even call it impact investing. Yeah, and and the corporate res- corporate social responsibility CSR is another name, socially responsible investing. But you know what, Andrew, I, I go back to you know the the late nineties when this started becoming a thing, and it was simply called social awareness, right? Mm, yep. And Calvert was a mutual fund company that really kind of pioneered uh, social awareness funds. But it's taken such a dramatic and detailed turn as we've evolved technologically because uh, before it was just, hey, we got to make sure McDonald's stops making those styrofoam containers, right? Right. Now, and we're going to get into this in a minute, right? We're, we're, we're looking more at um, different aspects of being socially conscious, Right. So, so let's break it down. And I, I think a lot of investors prefer the acronym ESG because it, it literally just spells out the three main criteria. And within those different categories, there's a lot of different, uh, as you're alluding to, components or things that it could be related to, right? Right. But so before we break it down into the, the three different parts, right, let's, let's look at what is an ESG rating, right? So the component parts, as we already said, are environmental, social, and governance. Now, MSCI is a company that measures a company's resilience to long-term industry, material, environment, social, and governance risk, okay? They use a rules-based methodology to identify industry leaders. Bottom line is they have ratings of these companies anywhere from AAA and AA, which is a leader of yep. ESG investing or an ESG company, average, A, triple B, so on and so forth, the triple C, which is a laggard, right? right. They also they also rate equity and fixed income securities, loans, mutual funds, and everything. Um, but finding the best companies with strong stocks and growth, you, you, don't, you don't have to have a trade-off with environmental, social, and governance values. You know, companies like NVIDIA, Salesforce, Adobe, Microsoft, they all have very high ESG ratings, right? So let's let's break it down to the three components, right? Number one, environmental, meaning the company is eco-friendly. Better said, how are they treating the planet? How are they treating exactly. the environment, right? It's, it's, it's in the name. What's interesting about this is a lot of times investors, and you see this trend moving more and more as they're investing their dollars, not only do they want to invest for a great return, but they want to invest in in causes that they believe in. So they want their dollars working for them alongside the mission and the the things that they also believe in and strong feel, uh, feel strongly about. So under that environmental bucket, you have things like maybe you're passionate about, you know, the water, water scarcity issue. And you could fund charities out there like the Water Project that are building water wells in places in Africa and South America. Or you could invest in a company that also has a water scarcity mandate as a part of its corporate mission that would fall under this environmental bucket within ESG investing. Right. But, but a water scarcity, water scarcity risk, right, is only applicable to certain companies. A financial company, 
like a, a bank or a financial institution as a, as a publicly traded company isn't going to have water scarcity risk or that as an environmental factor. Right. So if you're looking at the environmental factors, it depends on the industry. And that's where, you know, the ratings come in and they're so important because they break down industry in comparison to peers, right? So waste management and energy efficiency, uh, you know, again, I'm using the, the the mining company as an example of where that might apply. Um, but you could even, you know, you could even go further and say, hey, you know what, this bank uses so many reams of paper, they haven't gone digital yet. And, and, and you know, say that they're uh, environmentally uh, negatively impacting the environment, um, air and water pollution and, you know, and carbon emissions and those kinds of things you could really if you if you wanted to nitpick get into the environmental impact that any company has of course investors are applying these non-financial factors as a part of like their overall analysis process and really what the attempt is to try to identify different risks and growth opportunities. So historically, ESG metrics were not commonly part of like mandatory financial reporting, meaning publicly traded companies were not you know, reporting as a part of their, their, you know, S1 or K-12s, how their company is doing as far as some of these ESG metrics. Uh, though companies now, right, fast forward to 2021, are increasingly making these disclosures or report uh, reporting this as a part of like their quarterly shareholder meetings to al allow investors, Wall Street and all of their stakeholders, customers know what they're doing as far as sustainability. Let, let's break it down, Andrew. I got a question for you. Sure. Is it is it the chicken or the egg? That's that I, I often wonder this, right? Do the let's just say the CEOs, we, we blame them and, and reward them with everything. Um, do the CEOs do this so that this growing population of concerned investors will invest in their company or do they do it because they're genuinely concerned? So uh, it's probably a little bit of both. I don't think it's so black and white that it's one or the other. So you and I both remember when ESG investing started to really hit mainstream popularity when it was introduced to the investing world. Because decades ago, this wasn't even a topic. This wasn't right. something that, that investment firms took seriously. And a lot of companies were doing certain corporate initiatives in order to fulfill some sort of ESG bucket so that when they were measured by the MSCI ESG index, they were able to check that box, right? So they had some diversity inclusion, they had philanthropic efforts or even philanthropic divisions that were investing money. So like banks are notorious for this, right? They're, they're taking some of their billions of dollars of profits and, and investing into lower income or underserved areas. And now they can check a philanthropic box on their application for ESG investing and they've hit it. So now they're whatever that translate to as a score, you could say, well, you know, so-and-so bank is doing a phenomenal ESG job and they're really taking a stance on social awareness. When you, when you tried to dig into that 15, 20, 25 years ago, it, what is the impact? Maybe marginal, maybe it was big. Now, fast forward as times have changed, right? It's not just a a metric on an application for ESG qualifications anymore. This is now a demand of 
consumers who are buying their products and, and services, right? The customers want to see this. Uh, John Mackey, the, the CEO of uh, Whole Foods, kind of coined the term conscious capitalism. So, you know, the capitalism of the 80s was all about profits at any cost. And, you know, it doesn't matter if we're hurting the environment, the world, or our neighbor, as long as we win. John Mackey and many leaders like him in corporate America said, hey, we need to make sure that we're doing the best job to serve our customers, but also make sure we're taking care of our employees, our vendors, our stakeholders, that, that entire uh, sort of distribution line. That that's a great point, Andrew. And actually, I, I I just thought of this as I'm as I'm taking notes here. Think about this, right? The tech boom. Well, let's just let's just go back. What do you think the average age of a CEO is right now? Sixty years old, let's say. Right? Yeah, I was fifty five, okay. sixty. Okay, fifty five, sixty. Let's say that's been consistent throughout time. A 60-year-old in 1998 during the tech boom was born in 1938, right? Yes. So, you know, he's seven years old at the end of World War II. There's not much talk there about cutting forests down. There's not much talk there about treating people equally in the workplace. There's not much thought there about the spread of corruption uh, amongst CEOs. Fast forward 20 more years, right? That same CEO is born in 1958. They might have been at Woodstock, right? They might have grown up in the 70s or 80s and in their formative years, be more aware of the climate, the environment, treating people with respect at the workplace or, or equality. So I, I, I think there's, you know, the chicken, the egg question, right? Just kind of, you're right, it's both, right? But there has been an evolution of the people that are now, in the governance aspects of these companies are from a generation, maybe a little bit older than us, but, but they're still from a generation that cares a little bit more. Right. And right. And, and the shareholders and to, care. Exactly. Right. And I th that's such a brilliant point too. just thinking about the demographics of leadership, how that's changed the cultural impact that they had throughout their lives. When I started in the business and people were talking about, ESG investing, socially aware investing, there was this discrepancy between a value motivated investor, so one who is looking for financial profit, and a values motivated investor, one who is looking for social impact. And you would tell somebody, hey, if you want to invest and, and be green and be socially aware and make a difference and have an impact, hey, your, your portfolio may suffer, right? Like yeah. you, you may not get the return that you would get if you invested in other th things that you may not uh, agree with. Today, that, that, that's not the case. So right. you're looking at these factors drive financial performance in the marketplace significantly. Yeah, that, and that is very recent, Andrew, because I, I do recall having that conversation with clients and, and just, you know, I, 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 I think of myself as a, as a socially conscious person, right? I, I want to do right by my fellow man, by the environment. And I remember having that conversation with several people and you just look at, you know, the, the trailing three, five year returns of, of a lot of these socially aware funds and they were just paltry, right? And, uh, you know, you were getting 3% and, and, and if back then, and I, again, I'm going back about 20 years back then, if you really dug in, 
they were calling these companies socially aware, but there was no regulations in place that these companies right. were complying with. They were just saying, hey, yeah, we're buying McDonald's now because they stopped making the styrofoam containers, right? Right. And, and listen, news and media, and we talk about this often on this podcast, does not help the ESG cause because you don't have to go back 20 years ago, but even as recent as five or 10 years ago, a lot of times the issues you would see in the ESG categories were highlighted by news and media. And it was happening when investors were suffering, you know, substantial losses in their portfolio, when things didn't work out, uh, you know, on whatever listed companies and listed equities that, that were being invested in. You know, they're, they're attributing to poor management and, you know, the risk of, of the variety of ESG issues that, that exist. Yeah, I, I think... The governance part came last in terms of ESG investing, right? Where where you got environmental, I think we were aware of that decades ago. Social, second, and but the governance part, uh, uh, again, I think it, it took the evolution of these generations of CEOs and, and upper level management to even start, I mean, we're nowhere close to where we need to be, in my opinion, of of the kind of equality that we want to see in ma- in management and representation of different demographics in in the upper management of of these Fortune 500 companies. But that that's only starting to get noticed in recent years, right? And I think also, despite what you know, we just talked about all all of these highlighting of poor performance. ESG has actually performed phenomenally, <laughs> yeah. especially in recent uh, recent years. And th- this is not to say that it'll continue in this trend, but again, when I think it's going to become even harder to classify certain companies as ESG or non-ESG, where potentially, you know, years ago ESG was the minority, so there was. You know, there was the select few who were able to be in that that bucket. Today and into the future, you're going to see non-ESG companies kind of become the minority because so many corporations are moving into being more socially, environmentally, or governance aware, and it's likely that they're gonna they're gonna fill one of those buckets, if not all three, right? Right, and and it's going to be easier for them, given that everybody's now playing by some standards, playing by the same rules, right? Where, where you know, back back in the day, uh, and I'm going to use the McDonald's example again, right? Yeah. They didn't, Burger King and McDonald's were going head to head. McDonald's maybe lost a fraction of market share because they had styrofoam, they switched over, and then they're on top again, right, uh, uh, of, of Burger King. Now, you know, it would be appalling for a new fast food company to enter the market with with that kind of product wrapper right that's environmentally dangerous you know? well you can't i mean you know look at even the evolution of that we're not even styrofoam cups isn't even a conversation now it's right. do you have are you using pasta straws are you using eco-friendly disposable containers that can be recycled and made into shoes or hats later after you've eaten a cheeseburger out of it and i can't, I can't use those i can't use the cardboard straws man i'm sorry i just i just don't like eating the paper the cardboard straws are tough, but the, uh, I don't know who makes them, but the, those pasta straws are genius. <laughs> like, I have not seen I mean, those that's, yet. <laughs> that's brilliant. Whoever did that, you know, kudos to you. What do you do? You cook it up afterwards or does it taste Italian? 
Uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's like a thick piece of pasta and, you know, you're not eating the thing there. It's, you know, yeah. unless you like that al dente, but, uh, <laughs> but my, you know, my point is investor perception of ESG's companies and the direction that all companies, no matter what industry you're in, right? Hospitality, retail, food service, banking, insurance, healthcare, ESG minded companies are future proofing their own business models. You know, they're gonna be better suited to attract top talent, right? So you look at like millennials, now the largest demographic of, of the workforce. You look at the next generation, Gen Z. If you want to get talented people onto your team, a lot of people uh, in that, those demographics who are entering the workforce will are willing to sacrifice money, salary, to work for organizations that they believe in the mission of what they're doing. And you, that's how you're going to bring in the best people to create the best and most innovative products and or services. And that alone will help future proof and sustain your business for years and years to come. You know, that I think that is the main pro of ESG investing. Obviously, the impact on everybody and the environment, all the people. Uh, but personally, and, you know, we deal a lot with on dollars and sensibilities with personal finance. Yeah. The the warm and fuzzies, right? And that's, when it comes down to it, if you make 12% on your portfolio or or 11%, it's a difference. And depending on the size of your portfolio, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. But by and large, knowing that you're a part owner in a company that treats employees well, treats the environment well, um, is, is honest about its mission and follows that mission and leaves the earth uh, in, a, in a better place than when they found it, that can make you feel good about investing. And it's it's almost, well, it is self-serving because the better you feel about that, the more inclined you are to invest more in that. Right, and it's not just ethical anymore, right? It's practical. So right. uh, each year, BlackRock writes what they call their letters to, to CEO. So this year, uh, BlackRock's 2021 letters to CEO, here's a little excerpt from it. It said, companies with better ESG profiles are performing better than their peers. The infamous investment firm calls the extra cash so you'll pocket investing in ESG the sustainability premium. <laughs> so, I love that. I, wanna, I just want to see... You know, one one of the uh, one of the old school typical what what we think of the Smithers, not Smithers. What's that guy's name on? Mister Burns, right from the Simpsons. I just want to see him reading that letter and going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's true though, right? It's sustainability premium. I love that, and and people are paying more attention to it these days as well. They should. When you, you get the influence of a firm like BlackRock communicating that specifically to corporate leadership, right, to the CEOs of America, you better believe that right now all of those leadership teams are figuring out, hey, how can we not only do better, but we want a part of that sustainability premium. We want to outperform financially because, you know, let's be honest, all of these companies are out to make profit, right? And their, right. their end of day uh, metrics of competition, whether it's relative to their peers in their industry or for with any company overall, is how well are you doing financially? And they want, they want to participate in that sustainability premium. For sure. Well, I mean, think about what that, what that says to these CEOs, right? 
in, in terms of profitability for their company is it shape up or ship out, right? right. Because BlackRock, one of the largest institutional investors of all time, if they have umpteen mutual funds and ETFs and they're looking at putting your company in there and they're saying, hey, your ESG ratings triple C, unless you get that to a double A, we're not going to buy 25% of your company. You're going to, you're going to comply, right? So that it's, it's, it's the investors really are calling the shots. That's right. So listen, if, if you're listening right now and you say, Hey, I, I want to participate in this. I want to, I want to find out, am I, am I investing sustainably? Am I having an impact through my investing? So ESG companies and, and Bill, you referenced this before, will score highly in those environmental, social, and governance factors. And he, here are six methodologies for bringing ESG considerations into your decision making right now. Here's six ways you can do it. First, you can do uh, just a, a screening, right? So you can do exclusionary screening, screen on the, you know, the MSCI um, sustainability or ESG index tool. You can go to that website, Google that, and just put in a screen to filter out companies that don't even meet the metric. Next, look for best in class selection. So as Bill alluded, there are you know, rating systems, AAA, AA, look for the best in class in the areas that matter to you most. Look for themes, thematic investing, right? So if you have more passion, if you care more about one topic than another, that's a way for you to participate in this. Uh, active ownership, meaning just own the stocks, own the companies, impact investing, and then finally ESG integration, which is gonna integrate all three of these, these different areas. But Andrew, I will warn all the listeners, the one thing you don't want to do is hear the cocktail party conversation and, and then just go cherry pick. Meaning, we've heard for the last umpteen years about solar power, right? So what a typical investor will do is go, hey, solar power, that's saving some fossil fuels or some, it's, you know, it sounds good to me, right? It sounds environmentally friendly. I found a company that makes solar panels. I'm going to invest in them. That's not cutting it, right? Now you're back to 1980s, 90s investing, where you're just kind of going off of, hey, this, this company seems to be uh, environmentally friendly, right? It's not digging into the details. And you, the big disservice you're doing to yourself by doing that is the performance, if you go into the rating system and then you go and do the research, you can find that solar company that's having better performance that is still complying and has a, has a better ESG rating. It's a great point. When, when, you, when you add this to your, your own research, it, it, it creates more work, right? So th right. this is not a replacement for what we'll call traditional research. You got to understand the financial metrics of a company. You got to understand their marketplace, their opportunities for growth, how their leadership is, what markets they're moving into. So these are all the, the fundamental research you have to do. Question for you, do you think this should be on the front end or the back end of other traditional research? I think back end, right? And I was just going to say, I, I just thought of the analogy, you're going to laugh. It's apples to organic apples. That's how you got to look at it, right? So you got to go, hey, I want an apple, right? But then you want to find the the organic one. You might pay a little bit extra, right? But what we're trying to get across in this episode is that now you don't have to sacrifice performance, right? 
you, you can still get the same performance out of that apple. But, you know, in, in that regard, I think you got to find the apples first that you want. If you want a bank stock, you look at all the bank stocks, right? And then you say, all right, we got these top five and these five, three, two, whatever, seem to be similar. Which one's got the better ESG score? That's or which, it. One's well, al- hey. which, which one's aligned with my goals or w- w- aligned with my, my view of how we should be treating each other and the planet? Well, let, let's land there. Let's land because... Because as an all investing style, ESG investing is not perfect. There are pros and cons. So, mm. Bill, give me, give me what are the pros of ESG investing? Well, yeah, like we said, the warm and fuzzies, right? It's a moral victory knowing that you're, you're taking part in, in treating the, the planet and your fellow man well. Institutional support, right? There are entire networks and firms dedicated to ESG investing, with more coming in every day. Um, so you're you're going to be part of a growing trend of conscious capitalism. Plenty of investors and fellow investors to lean on, get research from, and uh, and support you in making those decisions. And then uh, the next gen support. I mean, you you touched on this, Andrew. The the millennials and the Gen Zs want to work for purchase products from and invest in ESG companies versus non-ESG companies. It's a small difference. And this is a growing part of the population, right? So that small difference could really propel ESG companies' stocks over time. That's right. So those are some of the pros, some of the, the cons or some of the things to be aware of. First, you know, this category and style of investing has a very short track record of performance. So depending on who you ask, ESG investing has been recognized as a market strategy. It's only been around for really a, a few years. As we alluded, could go back 15, 20 years. In those early days, it was very, very unclear about what what dictated being qualified in that that category they're very fuzzy metrics so because there's no really universally agreed upon standards for esg you know there are funds out there that could be a little bit more unsavory that start using those terms to mislead investors and try to attract dollars in in capital. And and finally, (laughs) this is classic, the government just doesn't understand ESG. (laughs) So, you know, the Department of Labor issued a confusing statement that sounded like they were banning ESG investments from retirement plans, which wasn't actually true. There was a lot of backlash about it. They needed to, quote unquote, revisit the rules. So the point being that even even the federal government who's who regulates the financial markets is very unclear about this. So right. how do we then apply? As always on the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast, you have to look at how this applies to your portfolio and more importantly, your overall financial plan. But we wanted to make sure that you're aware ESG investing is here. And I think in, in our opinion, at least in my opinion, it's not going anywhere. Agreed. Well, if you found this episode helpful, as always, please like, subscribe, share it with a friend. uh, And as always, check in each and every single Friday for a new episode wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Andrew Martz. And Bill McBride. Talk to you next time. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives 
and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.